You are listening to First in Human, where we interview industry leaders and investors to learn about their journey to inhuman clinical trials. Presented by Vial, a tech-enabled CRO. Hosted by co-founder Andrew Bracken, with episodes launching weekly on Tuesdays and Thursdays. For episode 19, we chat with Nahid Kurji, co-founder, president, and CEO of Cyclica. Find out why the power of AI-based technologies and neo-biotech are the wave of the future. Hi, I'm Andrew Bracken, co-founder of Vile. Vile is a tech-enabled CRO offering faster and more efficient trials for biotech companies. Today, I'm here with Nahid Kurji. Hi, Nahid. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. And you're the CEO of Cyclica. Can you tell us what you do at Cyclica and what Cyclica is? I'm co-founder and president CEO of Cyclica, a Toronto-based Canadian headquartered biotech company that we do have a team in the US as well as in the UK. And our entire mission as an organization is to unlock the potential of the human proteome to discover and advance the medicines of tomorrow. We are a quote-unquote AI for drug discovery company, though I don't like using that terminology as the basis to explain a company. Um, in addition to my role at Cyclica and on behalf of Cyclica, I also co-founded the Alliance for Artificial Intelligence and Healthcare, the AAIH, for which I sit on the board, have been one of the four executive officers since the sounding. I was secretary for about three years, and then in 2022, I took over as chair of the AAIH and works alongside a phenomenal group, including Angeline Muller from Roche, Meredith Brown-Tuttle, former VP Regulatory Affairs at Recursion, and Maria Panetta, CEO of Invisigenic. So I can talk from my perspective, a little bit about the broad application of AI across healthcare, though I do spend most of my time in drug discovery. Super cool. I read about that organization and it's really exciting stuff. Why don't we start at the beginning? Can you explain to our audience the process of drug discovery and why it takes so long and costs so much money today before you guys fix it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, Andrew. Put some numbers around that, as I'm sure many of your listeners know very well. But you know, it's important to continue to accentuate the challenges in both time and cost. Different reports will say different numbers, but kind of on average, it takes 10, 15 years in cost, hundreds of millions to low billions of dollars to bring a drug to a patient. And the process there is to identify plausible biological target to design or discover medicine that fits all of the preclinical requirements to then get that into a viable clinical trial to get it to the right patient population and to bring that through both safety efficacy at different stages and to eventually regulatory bodies and to the ultimate patients in the marketplace. Very difficult, highly non-trivial. And from a technology standpoint, if you look at the past, give or take, 50, 70 years, the business of drug discovery and development has only taken longer and costed more over time to become highly inefficient. And some reports suggest that the internal rate of return of drug discovery and development is near like 0% or just a little bit north of that. And so over the past, give or take 25, 30 years, a number of technology companies have entered the drug discovery and development space and said, how can we harness the power of new capabilities like cloud computing, access to available data sets to 
conduct drug discovery and development in a more efficient way to shorten timelines and reduce costs in an effort that all of us are aligned to is to do much more for human health. Again, there's no magic wand or silver bullet. It is a very complicated space. And we could talk a little bit more about that. But again, to answer your question, it takes a long time because it's difficult. Biology is highly esoteric. Biology and chemistry together is even more challenging, especially when you have to consider the safety requirements before a drug gets into a patient's hands and the efficacy to compete against other potential standard of care coming from a place of just accepting and understanding that and then finding the right technologies to have demonstrable value is a really interesting, very challenging problem to solve. Yeah, I'd love to hear more about that. So tell us how Cyclica uses AI and how does that approach differ from traditional target-based approaches? Yeah, great question. So before answering the question, I start from a place in context at all times. As a student of history of drug discovery and development, I evaluated and spent time with a lot of folks, read a lot of papers to understand how things were done to get to a place where the IRR was close to zero. What are the potential opportunities to supercharge that in a different way, not just incremental changing a solution for the same problem, but how do we redefine the problem? So if we go all the way back, the reductionist approach to drug discovery is what is the prevailing strategy still today, even though there's new solutions. And that reductionist strategy was for a given disease to identify a biological driver of that disease, oftentimes a protein that was not functioning correctly, and to identify then a specific compound chemistry to interact with that protein to have the right biological effect. And so for the more lay audience, you can think of the biological protein target as the lock and the chemistry as the key. For a long time, the paradigm was let's identify one key for one lock linked to a specific disease, one chemistry for one protein for a specific disease. And that reductionist strategy is what the industry continued to innovate around, both empirically through wet lab chemistry and then through computational techniques in the late 80s and early 90s. The first wave of computational approaches to drug discovery was to take what others would do in pipettes with chemistry and biology and to simulate that in a more computational framework. The first companies introduced docking-based technologies to simulate physically how a compound molecule would interact with a biological target. And they did this through various really elegant techniques like molecular modeling, through energy perturbation, etc. And what started to come out in the mid to late 90s, early 2000s, were a supercharged way of doing what was done empirically, but now you know, screening millions of molecules rapidly against a biological target in a more digital way. That's been the prevailing computational strategy, or that was until around 2010 to 2015 timeframe. And around 2002 to 2010, with the Human Genome Project and a wealth of data that started to emerge in the landscape, a number of companies started to introduce themselves to drug discovery as big data Prior to there being language around AI for drug discovery, the space was called Big Data and Predictive Analytics. And there is a seminal paper written by McKinsey and Company titled How Big Data Can Revolutionize the Pharmaceutical Industry. And that was published in about 2013. And on the back of that, 
give or take a dozen companies started to emerge in the big data predictive analytics space. A vast majority of those companies still focus on that same problem, which was one key or one lock for a specific disease, one molecule for a given target for a specific disease. And that fundamentally is not the problem that Cyclica set out to solve. And I'll go into a little bit more deeper, but I'll finish with, whereas everybody is focused on building the next best docking technology to screen millions to billions of molecules and force-fitting them into a specific target or bringing kind of new AI techniques like ligand-based models or quantitative structure activity relationship models to identify molecules that look like active molecules for a specific target. We flipped the problem on its head and we said, let's build one model for the entire proteome, the collection of all protein targets, so that we could harness the strength of a molecule's polypharmacology, the idea that it interacts with dozens of targets, not just one. Can you tell us how the Human Genome Project impacted your work at Cyclica? It's obviously been a project that has been many years in development, right? It's impacted us measurably. It's impacted the entire industry measurably, and therefore companies like us measurably. On a few dimensions, number one, mindset, that data is very important, that the access of that data in the development of representative models that can be applied to the application of drug discovery and development is critical. And the first massive wave of that data came post-human genome project. Now, there's a lot of data that is required for companies like us. There's protein structure information, there's drug target interaction data, there's genetic and genomic data. And a lot of that last piece of data, genetic genomic data, emerged and continues to grow exponentially as genetic and genomic data becomes more available. And that would not have been possible if it was not for the work that was put into the Human Genome Project and kind of the first wave of that data coming out in the early 2000s. And what then is available to us? Well, more protein structure information, more ligand protein data is now available, more insights into personalized medicine is now questions that can be asked. Now, the challenge with genetic and genomic data is that approximately 90 to 94% of genetic and genomic data come from patient populations that don't necessarily look like me. Quite frankly, Andrew, they look like yourself. Affluent Caucasian males disproportionately represent genetic and genomic data. And so in the world then, coming back to my comment of personalized medicine, How can we truly talk about personalized medicine where the data that is being used to train models that are then used in drug discovery do not come from a diverse patient population pool? Now, there's a lot of work to go and fix that, but still up to this point in time, it's fairly homogenous. And so a lot of the effort then at Cyclica, as well as the Alliance for Artificial Intelligence and Healthcare, is access to fair and representative data of patient populations. Because we hear the saying garbage in, garbage out for AI models. Fine, that's catchy, but it's a bit cliche. It's now biased data or underrepresentative data leads to biased models, which lead to biased outcomes. And I think that's garbage. Totally. I'd love to learn about some of the strategies you're using to solve that problem. What are some of the early tactics you've looked at? If I come back to the Cyclica problem, then there's the AIH stuff, which flow hand in hand, but I'll talk first Cyclica, more micro business day-to-day and then stuff at AIH. At Cyclica, the question that we asked ourselves and the problem that we set out to solve was not how to find the next best molecule for one protein target. Why? Well, even the most highly potent molecule for a specific biological target 
when placed into a complex biological system like a animal or a human will interact with dozens to hundreds of potential biological targets. Now, some of those unanticipated off-targets can have deleterious effects that be linked to targets or can be interacting with targets linked to toxicity, like hepatotoxicity or liver toxicity or cardiotoxicity. Or they could be interacting with targets that are linked to other disease opportunities and indication expansion or reimagining new use cases for existing assets can be pointed someplace else where efficacy may be higher than the intended target. And so the idea of polypharmacology to us was critically important. A given small molecule interaction dozens up to about 300 targets based on literature and our evaluation. So we found it out of the gate, a disservice to build a technology that was simply faster and maybe less expensive to do single target drug discovery when what about everything else? The innovation on the problem statement is what really created Cyclica. And that's why we created one model for the entire proteome. The solution that we brought to that problem initially, and I'm going to combine both the history to today, we brought a docking-based approach to proteome-wide screening, where we used to create an innovative strategy to take a small molecule, screen it against the entire proteome, but through a physics-based docking strategy. Now, what we learned from that is that docking is slow, it's costly, and the predictive power is not all that inspiring. The signal to noise is challenging to interpret. So we knew the problem statement was the right problem statement, but our solution set was the wrong solution set. And so that led us to innovate the technology that we brought to the market called Matchmaker, which is a deep learning framework that is trained on multiple types of data, but in particular protein structure data and drug target interaction data. With the advent of new protein structure technologies like AlphaFold from DeepMind and the work that they introduced and made openly available to the scientific community in July 2021, Cyclica, to the best of our knowledge, was the first company to ingest all of that protein structure information from AlphaFold and AlphaFold2 directly into Matchmaker. And so we were able to build the single largest, most robust, one model generalizable across the entire proteome. And that now allows us to do drug discovery, not just for high data targets that are compatible to physics-based modeling or AI-based technologies where there's a lot of data, but we built a remarkable approach to transfer that learning from high data targets into low data targets. So targets that are incompatible to physics-based technologies or AI technologies that are generally recalcitrant to even the empirical strategies, that's where we have an impact as a company. To your question, polypharmacology is important, one model for the entire proteome, and then bringing a strategy of drug discovery to go after high data targets and low data targets. And those low data targets are linked to diseases that nobody's working on or struggling to work on today. In 2019, you announced the joint venture with Atai Life Sciences to explore how psychedelics can help patients dealing with mental health disorders. I would love to learn more about this company and also just other collaborations you're exploring. You've told us about your technology, but I'd love to learn how it's manifesting into new drugs and new companies that will help patients. With the access to effectively the entire proteome, collection of all protein structures, we are a disease agnostic company from a technology point of view. So we've done work in infectious disease, cardiovascular, ophthalmics, 
a lot of them worked in oncology and inflammatory-based diseases. And so we started to see where the technology was really strong, where there are some limitations. And that's all part of the journey of building and we can't call ourselves an AI company if we're not willing to learn from where the technology doesn't work as well as where it works. And so we started to get more informed on directionality and the domain of applicability of our technology. And so over the past probably three years, we narrowed in on a biology thesis, immunoinflammatory-based diseases, and a focus on CNS, oncology, and on autoimmune disease. Autoimmune disease is one of the reasons why I helped co-found Cyclica. Family suffers from autoimmune disease. And there are stories that I've told about you know, family history in the medical system where things just did not work out well. And as a result, autoimmune disease is something that we will continue to focus on as a business. But if we think about the portfolio strategy as CNS and oncology are primarily the two, and then autoimmune diseases at the tertiary. Within CNS and oncology, the question is, well, those are two big areas, right? There's brain disease, there's pain, there's oncology, huge space. So why? And the reason why is generally twofold. For CNS-based diseases, we noticed that a lot of literature has been written about the fact that most brain diseases and diseases of the central nervous system are highly complex, where a single target drug discovery strategy is incompatible to actually measurable or demonstrable health outcomes. A lot of people and papers have been written about neurodegenerative diseases and taking a pathway view and a panel-based view to drug discovery, that there's multiple targets implicated in the degeneration of the brain. So going after just one target is probably inconducive. These polygenic-based diseases, oftentimes are diseases of the brain, the central nervous system, are so compatible to our system. Because by accessing the entire proteome, we're not just going after one target, we can go after multiple targets. We can take a panel-based view to drug discovery. We started working in both neurodegenerative and neuropsychiatric back in about 2018, 2019 timeframe. And that's when I got to know the leadership team at a tie at a conference in London. And we're just, you know, we got together and we're talking about our interests in neuropsychiatric diseases, specifically mental health. And we talked about depression and autism and bipolar disorder. And we're just reminiscing about family history in those areas. And then we said, why don't we start a company? And that's what then led to a tie in Cyclica creating Entheogenics Biosciences, a company I believe is one of the leaders in the space of understanding how psychedelics work and then harnessing that understanding to discover new medicines that will recapitulate the benefits of psychedelics, but in a more NCE, more regulatory path. That's the basis of Entheogenics, and we're really excited about the work that we're doing right now. Incredibly exciting. I know patients in that field have such limited options. So it's, uh, it's really amazing stuff. My last question for you is, at Cyclica, you're developing a large pipeline of assets. And I've listened to some of your interviews, and I know you mentioned that you're moving towards running more programs yourselves. What does the future of clinical trials need to look like to support that? Hopefully, many programs going into clinical trials. Tell us, what would you need to exist to support that world that hopefully will come into fruition soon? That's the best question you could ask, and one that obsessively thinking about. Again, I start from a place of context. And so for your listeners, I'll answer the question, but let me just back into the answer. The traditional business of biotech is have a platform, direct that platform for one specific program, one or a couple specific program, 
and then invest all of your energy to advancing that as far as possible, ideally into a phase one or a phase two, getting it to a specific inflection point, partnered out to a biopharma company who have the infrastructure to take that to patients. In summary, in 30 seconds or less, that's the business of biotech. Now, with the power of AI-based technologies where you can move much, much faster, cost is lower, and throughput is higher, you now have orders of magnitude more efficiency to bring to drug discovery. And if you have a technology that can work that fast and that much more efficiently, does it not behoove you to do much more with it? It's like taking a Ferrari and then just leaving it on the street of a city. You're like, oh, should I not take this on the free road? And so the question that we then asked ourselves was, with the power of technology and a new problem statement, can we reframe the business model of drug discovery? And so one of the ways we got into the business of the discovery of medicines instead of what historically was our business model of servicing pharma with our platform and trying to generate revenue, which was the very early iteration of Cyclica up until about 2018. Since then, we turned the platform in on itself and we became a neo-biotech, a new age biotech company powered by technology and a radically innovative business model. Now, we've raised about just over $40 million of capital today. We have a portfolio of assets that are north of 60 with multiple and late-stage preclinical and ID enabling studies, some in late-stage lead optimization, you know, hit to lead, hit discovery, and then a wealth of early-stage pipeline that we haven't even yet worked on. Question is, how are we able to do so much with so little? Well, one of the ways was through partnerships, where we didn't have to own the entire value chain. We knew that there are a number of biotech companies and academic institutions who had expertise and capabilities that we did not have that were directly adjacent to our core expertise. So we combined forces, just like with Italian and Theogenics. And by virtue of that, we were willing to split the economic upside and the intellectual property kind of proportionally. They would cover their costs and they would get their upside. We would cover our costs. We would get our upside. And again, the question we asked ourselves, would we rather own 100% of one or two programs or 50 plus percent of hundreds of programs? And so the first iteration of Cyclica to build our portfolio was to do it in partnership. Then as we started to learn more domain of applicability, strengths, limitation, and we raise more capital, well, of course, we want to take more control of our destiny. We want the decision-making to reside with our drug discovery team. And so over the past year, we've brought on Mike Palovich, our chief science officer, and had a drug discovery 24 plus years at GSK before Cyclica. And with him now at the helm of our drug discovery team, we said, let's go deep. And actually, instead of relying on partnerships 100%, let's shift the allocation uh, and like that teeter-totter and make it more 50-50. And then over time, more internal, less reliant on partnerships. But there's an economic model that drives our business model, which is how do we keep our cost of capital down, increase our probabilities of success, and then over time, make sure that we are a financially viable company with the eventual commercialization of those assets. Last thing I'll say, Andrew, is you know when it comes to commercialization, we don't have an aspiration to run a clinical trials. We know the lane in which we swim. We do drug discovery really, really well and only going to get better. 
We believe that the market is looking for companies to create at scale early stage pipelines to get to kind of the preclinical stage, at which point pharma companies have a dried up pipeline early stage. Can we create a marketplace, what we call a molecule marketplace, so that, you know, the wave of drug discovery assets of the future will come through our pipeline, commercialized to pharma companies and have a revolving door. That's what we're really excited about. And that's what we're working on. That's amazing stuff. And uh, I appreciate the time today. I could continue this for, for significantly longer, but I think we've got to, got to cut it. So thanks so much, Nahid. Appreciate the time. And uh, I wish you well on this amazing journey. Thank you, Andrew. And I appreciate you inviting me to this conversation. I hope your listeners gained something from it, though I, I know sometimes I'm a bit long-winded. So, Thanks so much. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Apple, Spotify, and Google.